Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is People Every Day. Coming up, Sandra Bullock goes deep, opening up about motherhood and the trauma of living through a home invasion. Plus, why Dolly Parton is one of our People of the Year and an eye-opening conversation about abortion rights with an activist on the front lines. It's December 1st. Hello out there. I'm Janine Rubenstein, and this is People Every Day. It is Wednesday, the first day of the last month of this interesting year. Of course, the pandemic has been at the forefront of our minds and really transformed our daily actions for about two years now. That said, with all the hardship we've faced, it's easy to forget the positive things that have happened during this time. That's why we're taking a moment to reflect. This week's issue is our annual People of the Year issue, and we feature four transformative humans who have made a positive impact in 2021. Dolly Parton, Sandra O. Simone Biles, and National Teacher of the Year, Juliana Ortube. As you'll see, there is definitely a reason we chose the people that we did, but to spotlight one, country music legend Dolly Parton accepted the title as one of our People of the Year in very Dolly fashion. Listen. I don't deserve all that. I am not all that. I make a joke saying I'm not all that. I'm not even all there. You know, just joking, but you know, I'd rather think of my life being on a pulpit and not a pedestal. I just love that woman. And I respectfully have to say, Dolly, you do deserve to be on the cover of this week's issue. She made a lasting impact through her organization, Imagination Library, which to date has given more than 160 million books to kids in need. She also donated $1 million in the early days of the pandemic to support COVID-19 research, which resulted in the completion of the Moderna vaccine, which I just got as my booster. So if I can borrow a few words, from our editor-in-chief, Dan Wakeford's editor's letter, our cover stars prove that there is always something big or small you can do to help. So, so true. Well, moving on to something that is making headlines even before it airs, Alec Baldwin recently did his first sit-down interview following the tragic discharge of a gun he was holding, which killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins on set of his movie, Rust. The 63-year-old actor and producer sat down with Good Morning America's George Stephanopoulos. Take a listen. It wasn't in the script for the trigger to be pulled. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. What did you think happened? I know many will be watching that, myself included. Uh, Baldwin's interview airs tomorrow on ABC at 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central. 
And now let's dig in. Uh, We're going to go even further into a story we talked about yesterday. Academy Award winning actress Sandra Bullock gave an incredible interview on Red Table Talk, you know, with Jada and her mom, Adrian and Willow. In it, she talks about adopting her two children, navigating the foster care system, navigating the PTSD she experienced after a violent robbery and so much more. There's a lot to unpack and we only have a little bit of time. So joining me to help is people's Anya Leon. Hi, Anya. Hi, Janine. How are you? I'm great. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, this was incredible, right? Like right away, she gets into adopting her daughter, Lila, after fostering her at her home. So let's listen to what she says about that. I know you had to take classes in regards to how to raise children with trauma. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. What I learned along the way that I might see. Like I had my kids in my closet with their little beds because I was so afraid to not have them super close to me. Yeah. And I would walk in and I wouldn't be able to find her. She'd be in the closet with all her clothes on. She'd be on a bookshelf. She'd be hiding under. She'd always be ready to leave. Oh, just gut-wrenching. What else did she say about her journey as a parent? Yeah, so right off the bat, Sandra got into talking about how different each of her children's journeys were. Mm -hmm. Lila had been in three different placements before Sandra adopted her two and a half. So she really did come with a past, and with that past came trauma. In addition to hiding, as she mentioned in the clip, Lila would often hide food, which Sandra says was a survival skill. It really was something that Lila had to deal with. And both she and Sandra worked on it together. She said it was actually her partner, Brian, who said to her that they would really probably see a change in Lila once she had been with them longer than she hadn't been. Yeah, and it's just such an undertaking she mentioned there. And I loved that um, Adrian praised her, you know, for, for going that route because it's not easy, right? Yes. And Adrienne even admitted that it wasn't something that she thought she could ever do. And Willow says, you know, given the love and compassion that Sandra has for her children, it has really become Sandra's superpower. Yeah. Well, she also opened up about her experience of being a white mother of two black children. And we got into some of this yesterday. So let's take a listen to what she says there. How can I make sure that my anxiety... Mm is accurate, yeah. protective. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, with Lou being a young black man, at one point, sweet, funny Lou is going to be a young man. Oh, yes. And the minute he leaves my home, I can't follow him everywhere. Nope. Though I will try. Yeah. I will try. And I'm, exactly. I'm joking, but I'm not. I don't know yeah. what I will do, but I pray, I pray, I pray that I've done a good enough job, scared them sufficiently. Right. Mm-hmm. I've been schooling Lou since he was six years old. He popped that hoodie on his head and I went, ah. Yeah. And I said, let me just explain. And I let him see everything. Mm. Anya, what did you make of this? You know, Sandra is really honest with there are difficulties that come along with her being a white mom raising black children. And at one point, Adrian says that she was at one point under the belief that black children should be placed with black families for their own protection and for their own, you know, experience with childhood. I don't think that everybody that feels that way is racist. I think that they truly believe, because I know I did in the beginning, and I've kind of changed my outlook on that, but feeling like it is better 
for a black child mm -hmm. to be raised in a black home. Sandra says that, you know, at the end of the day, if you were to come into her home, you would see that it really does come down to universal things that all mothers go through. And she says it's really just a family and it boils down to this universal love that a mother has for her children. Yeah. And I do also love the idea that she is open about talking about these things because that is kind of dispelling that, you know, I see no color myth that still floats around there. Like, no, they are Black children and they go through unique experiences and it's something that she has to educate herself on and she's, you know, doing that and being open about it. So I think, I think that's cool. Well, she also talked about her partner, Brian, as you brought up. She made the decisions without him at first, right? Yeah. So Sandra really did talk about co-parenting with Brian. She was actually already a mom to Louie. And she does joke about the moment that she sprung it sort of on Brian that she was going to be adopting Lila. Uh, she says that understandably, he was a little bit scared and nervous, um, but very excited and that maybe he hadn't expected that for his own journey. But at the end of the day, he really turned out to be the perfect man for it. I, I love that quote of her. She said, I'm a bulldozer. My life was already on the track. And here's this beautiful human being who doesn't want that. Like, he, you know, but he fell in line, essentially. And he's the example I'd want my children to have, she says. I, that's just so her, I feel like. But this whole interview really just seemed, I mean, it was so raw, right? And it felt like one big group therapy session almost. And and she and Willow both spoke about home invasions. So um, how do they cope with that? It's terrifying. Yes, it was so scary. Sandra talks about being home alone. And coincidentally, that was the one night her nanny had offered to take Louie, who was just a baby at the time, and that when she heard somebody in the house, she was hiding in her closet. Um, and after that terrifying experience, she talks about the timeline of it all. It really all happened um, at the same time that Louie had also gotten sick. She was bit by a venomous spider and it all just became a lot to deal with. And how she really through therapy learned to kind of rewire her thought process. And at the end of that, she credits her children really um, with saving her. I, I cannot imagine. I mean, have you ever seen her this candid, though? Like, she is really putting it all out there in this interview. She definitely did. And it was such an amazing interview. She really gave everyone this personal look inside her home, inside her relationship with Brian, inside her life as a mom. And it was a beautiful thing to see um, her face light up throughout the entire interview every time she mentioned her children. Yeah, I mean, kudos to Jada and Gamma and Willow because they they really went there. <laughs> well, Anya, thank you so much for breaking it all down for me. No problem. Thanks, Janine. Next up, as yet another law prohibiting abortion makes its way to the Supreme Court today, I have an important emotional conversation with abortion rights activist Lauren Rankin. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, 
their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuitsandjam. Abortion has long been a hotly debated topic, but it's been on people's minds even more since September 1st. That's when the Supreme Court passed a Texas law banning abortions after about six weeks. Anyone caught helping a woman obtain an abortion in Texas after cardiac activity is detected can be sued in a civil lawsuit. Last month, the ban was challenged by the Department of Justice and Texas abortion providers. But as all the Texas controversy continues to unfold, other states are making moves of their own. Republican lawmakers in Ohio have introduced legislation that would ban all abortions. And today, December 1st, the Supreme Court hears another case regarding a Mississippi law that bans abortions after 15 weeks. There is so much unrest. And in light of all this, today we've asked writer, speaker, and activist Lauren Rankin, who specializes in domestic and global reproductive health and rights, to share some of her insights. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for joining the show. Hi, Janine. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Well, first, can you break down literally everything? Like, why is all of this happening right now? It feels like there's some resurgence of energy for this debate. Why now? Really, from 2010 on, we saw a huge swell of abortion restrictions at the state level, but Honestly, since Brett Kavanaugh and then Amy Coney Barrett have been appointed to the Supreme Court, Mm -hmm. the balance of that court has completely shifted. So now it's in favor of conservatives. They see this as their best moment to do the thing they've wanted to do for years, which is finally overturn Roe versus Wade. And both the Texas law, which I think is horrendous. And obviously most Americans polling shows most Americans are outraged Mm, by it. mm -hmm. But the Mississippi law is a little bit more pernicious. It's directly threatening to Roe versus Wade because Roe versus Wade says you cannot, as a state, restrict abortion before the point of fetal viability. 15 weeks is well before that, barely after the beginning of the first trimester. The law was created specifically to be blocked and appealed all the way up. And Today's case could really very well be the death knell for Roe versus Wade. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, I want to talk about that 1973 Supreme Court case, the case, Roe v. Wade. With all of this new legislation, are you thinking that it could happen, that Roe v. Wade could indeed be overturned? It is very well possible, yes, even if they technically leave Roe versus Wade in existence they're going to find a way to undercut it so that it's practically useless for millions of people. Wow. So in 1973, obviously, the Supreme Court legalized abortion nationwide. But only 19 years later, in 1992, the Supreme Court actually did tweak Roe and said, yes, people have a right, a constitutional right to abortion, but states can restrict it before the point of fetal viability as long as they Mm. don't place an undue burden on the woman or the person seeking an abortion. Nobody knows what an undue burden is. Is an undue burden driving 200 miles? Is an undue burden being screamed at by people who get up in your face when you walk into the clinic? What is it? 
Wow. Well, Lauren, I know you have a book coming out about abortion clinic escorts. What exactly does a clinic escort do? And also, what's the significance of this role in the broader conversation of abortion rights? Such a great question. So clinic escorts job is very simple. It's a volunteer activity. And all you do is walk people past protesters at abortion clinics. That's your job. You are there to support the patient, no matter how you feel about abortion, no matter how you feel politically, it's simply an act of saying, you're a human being, you deserve to be treated with dignity and respect, and you deserve to have someone on your side. I am mm. going to walk past you by people shouting, mommy, mommy, don't kill me, mommy. You're going to burn in hell. You're a sinner. You're a Jezebel. Horrible things. Wow. And a common misconception is that they're still happening all the time. Yeah. They're happening everywhere. If you have a clinic in your neighborhood or in your community, chances are there are protesters out there right now. You just might not know because when do you ever drive by the clinic until you need an abortion? Yeah. Take take me into that a little bit. I mean, are there yeah. any particular stories um, that you would feel comfortable with sharing that come to mind about your time doing that? Oh, yeah. I remember vividly. I was standing waiting for this cab to come up. And all of a sudden, this huge mass descended on this cat, screaming into this cab. You're going to hate yourself for what you're going to do. You're going to go in there. You're never going to come back out. You'll still be a mother. You'll just be the mother of a dead baby. Horrible things. And I had to call for security to help me to get this person out. So finally, the security guard comes out and I reach in and I can't even see who this is. I just wrap my arm around them and I'm saying in a very calm voice, it's okay. It's okay. You're not alone. We get inside the clinic. I look at her and she is just a girl, maybe 15. And I learned later that she was uh, raped by her stepfather oh. and had to be completely re-traumatized by all of these people screaming these horrific things of her when she was doing something she didn't even want to have to do. And her mother said to me later that me being there was one of the few reasons that they were able to go through this. Oh. It wrecked me. I felt so horrible and horrified and there was nothing I could do. Yeah. I hope wherever she is now, she's a woman and she's able to live the life that she wants because that's what she deserves. Yeah. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for sharing that. It's, it's painful to even hear. So experience is a whole other thing. Um, so one last question though, in your words, why are abortion rights so important to you? Abortion at its core is about people being able to make the most basic, fundamental decisions about what happens to their bodies and what happens to their lives. Abortion has been happening since the beginning of time, and it's not going to stop. The reason that we need safe and legal abortion is because no one should have to die or suffer simply to terminate a pregnancy. That was Lauren Rankin, activist and author of Bodies on the Line, at the front lines of the fight to protect abortion in America. For more on this story, head over to People.com. And now, something to make you smile as we say hello to a new month 
we also commemorate December 1st as World AIDS Day to help raise awareness of the ongoing AIDS epidemic and shine a light on the folks who have done and are doing the work to help end it. Dr. John LaPook was a young doctor when AIDS cases began emerging in the United States back in 1981. Little did he know, he'd resurface lessons he learned then to teach students, doctors, and nurses at NYU Langone Health about how to provide care to patients with COVID-19. And here's what he told CBS Mornings about why it's the little things that are so special to those in need. Take a listen. Much more often, it's by making their journey gentler, by showing them compassion and empathy, by listening, by being present. Awesome doctor with an awesome message. All right, I will talk to you all tomorrow.